everybody. How you doing? Welcome to This Week in Mormons. Very excited uh, to bring you the show this week because we've got some interview action happening. We've actually had a bit of a lull kind of going through the fall and getting through the holidays. We've been straight news for a while and I'm really excited to get into that. Before we do, though, just want to remind all of you to visit us at thisweekinmormons.com where you can find any notes for this show or any of our regular newscasts as well as for all our blog content and all that good stuff. What I'm basically asking you to do is show up and boost my Google AdSense score so that the minimal ads we have on there can pay out better. You know we don't do a lot of ads on here. And keeping that in mind, if you want to be part of the family, go to patreon.com slash thisweekinmormons and pony up like three or four bucks a month, and that helps us keep this whole production going, largely free of other intrusions, which is kind of nice, you know, So and we get a sense of community. I love all of the dozens of you who are in there helping us out in that regard. So please do that and join us on social media and all the, all the usual places, Facebook, Instagram, sometimes Twitter, but personally right now I'm a little, I'm a little cold on Twitter, but we won't get into that on this show. That's not the purpose of what we're doing this week. Ask me offline if you want to hear about that. Anyway, um, everybody, I've got a fever. And the only solution is Lefever. Tyler Lefever, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. Is back with us this week. So if you remember, um, and, I'm all, and we're also joined by uh, Sam Skidmore. How's Sam? How you doing? I'm doing great. So I'll reintroduce, I'll introduce uh, Sam and Tyler and they can introduce themselves. So about 18 months ago or so, Tyler was on the show with us and he spoke about his four options survey, but he can tell us more about his background in a second, but he's a PhD and assistant professor of psychology at Utah State University, uh, raised as a queer man in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and his re- research focuses on building bridges between the LGBTQ plus and Latter-day Saint communities. Uh, and I believe Tyler still lives in Utah. Last time we checked in, unless you've moved. Yes, uh, he does. He lives in Tennessee. Yep. Lives um, in Utah. Where he operates a small private therapy practice. So Tyler's here. He's got some new research and findings to share with us. We're going to talk about some issues that pertain to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and leadership. And likewise, we're joined by Sam Skidmore, who's a graduate research assistant and at Utah State University. Would that be correct, mm-hmm. Sam? Yep. Working with Dr. Lefevre. Dr. Lefevre, <laughs> th- a third-year doctoral student, which is super, super awesome. And, and Sam's uh, research and clinical focuses include understanding the experience of religious LGBTQ plus people uh, and ways in which LGBTQ plus mental health can be improved, which we know is a significant issue both inside and outside the church. We know it's a significant issue somewhere like Utah, where a lot of the the fissures and the social norms and things like that um, can sort of come to a fore in a much more uh, dramatic way, per se. You know, anywhere I think where you have a where you have like basically a large majority rule, where you where it's a little more where you lack more heterogeneity culturally, and that's not to say Utah exactly has that, but because you have a dominant uh, socio-religious element there, you know, that affects how things are culturally in the state, which is the norm. Like I served my mission in Spain and obviously Catholicism played a big role in how things are there. Right. So I'm excited to talk about uh, all these things this week. If I missed anything, um, Tyler, Sam, any other way you want to introduce yourself for our listeners? Did we, did we touch on everything there? Nine. <clears throat> you got us. Jeff, I'm going to put a quick promo for our yeah. web where you can find us at the start. Oh, sure. Plug it. Got, um, our website is www.4optionssurvey.com, number four options with an S, survey.com, mm-hmm. or lgbtqmormonresearch.com. Both of those sites have links to other work that we're doing and the collection of work that we've already done. Do you worry that by not making the domain lgbtqlatterdaysaintresearch.com, you are alienating the, <laughs> the, 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 you know, 
like half people, of our like, participants. Yeah, I, I I I say it in jest. I do wonder. Like people ask me that a lot, given the name of our show. I, I'm curious from your perspective if you think there's any. Yeah, I, it was a big, it was a big crisis when I was figuring it out, and I wanted to LGBTQ Latter Day Saint Mormons dot com, but that was way too long. That is the URL from hell. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I you know the truth though is I maybe like you we. I've kind of landed on Mormon as a cultural group. And so if I ever have to pick one of them and I'm not speaking to a specific audience, I tend toward Mormon. If I'm speaking about active members of the church, I go Latter-day Saints. Yeah. And that's kind of been our play as well, even though I would say like 95% of what we do on here focuses kind of on like the Brighamite part of church history, right? And so we can say it's like this week in Mormons because every now and then we talk about James Strang or somebody else. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big tent. Um, But but that works. So for those who were listening about 18 months ago, yeah, it was like, you know, it was like fall of 2020. It was during COVID where everything's been a blur. I know that. Um, Tyler came on to talk about the four options survey that he'd done. Tyler, can you just refresh us on what that was all about, what we discussed last time we were on? Yeah. So we are really interested in following LGBTQ plus and same-sex attractive Latter-day Saints over the next 10 years to see how they navigate their sexuality, gender, and faith. So we collected data a couple years ago, had a bunch of people participate. Thank you for all of you listeners who did. And we just opened the second wave this month, actually. So we're looking for more folks, especially more folks who are active members of the church right now. And we're following up with the people who participated two years ago. So looking to do this for eight more years, see how people's ways of navigating things changes and see how that impacts their mental health and their religious and spiritual health. Yeah. And so you started with it two years ago and you said you got a new group. So is that group starting like the 10 year period now? So it. Yeah, it'll be kind of a staggered. We go in a. Yeah, staggered. Okay. Yeah, we'll have some preliminary data and write ups in the next few months from the group that was that we started with two years ago. We'll be able to do some analyses to see what's changed. So maybe in a year I'll have new things to share. But right now we just we're collecting again. We don't know what's going on. And this was an interesting survey. Um, and obviously, we're not going to go on into a ton of detail about that one today. You can listen to the old podcast. We'll link to it if you want to get into that, folks. But can you just remind us like what the four options were, what we're speaking of when we say there were four options for LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints and what that, like, what does totally. that mean? What are the options? So four common ways of navigating sexuality or sexual orientation and faith. The first was being single and celibate. And the second is being in a mixed orientation relationship. So I am predominantly same-sex attracted, but I'm with someone of another sex. And those are the two options that tend to align most closely with the church. Though the church officially doesn't promote any of the four options. They, They just say, like, keep the law of chastity and go figure out the rest. Option three is being single but not celibate. So looking for relationships, typically same sex, but could be more broad. And then the fourth is being in same sex relationships. Yeah, and the one thing that struck me that I thought was so fascinating uh, when we spoke before was that the uh, the the mixed orientation relationships are a thing that can work, and we've talked about it since. I don't need to go into right. detail, but that was interesting because at least for me, as a Latter Day Saint, as someone, I feel like I tried to be very open and inviting and understanding of a lot of people in different positions with inside and outside of our faith community. But that's one of those things where I think it's it's been so easy for anyone to zero in and be like, "Yeah, buddy, like that's that's not going to work." Like, come on, but it, but it actually does for people, and that's something great that humbled me a lot, and I think helps us understand that the church isn't necessarily saying do that. There might have been a time yeah. when maybe they would have implied that a bit more strongly, but that it works for some people and there's different walks. And like you've said, you know, some of the 
the options for people would be to not be as directly involved in the church for their own uh, their own well being. And, and I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth. I know that you've you know sure. you've, you've since left the church in the past yeah. few years, but I don't think you're, you're you know you're not advocating that people leave the church. You are. Nah, absolutely. I think find the path that's right for them. And yeah. for some people, mixed orientation relationship is right, especially if they experience some degree of other sex attraction. And circling on what you said, Jeff, <clears throat> I think the important lesson for folks in the church is, is the openness and the acceptance kind of regardless of path. And so because people in mixed orientation relationships can feel a lot of stigma from people in their wards and stakes. Yeah, like, from, from, from jerks like me who were stopping <laughs> it right you know, but Yeah, it's true. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so what took us to this new survey? Is this new survey an outgrowth of the four options survey or is this some new, just new work that is within your sphere and it's just a whole new project? Tell us about what we're doing. Yeah, no, it's a little different. I'm actually going to punt to Sam because Sam's okay. been kind of the front, uh, front line for a lot of this new research. Yeah. So we actually took quite a bit of a different approach with this study. Um, the four options survey is very... There's a lot of different measures, so people just fill out. I strongly agree with this. I disagree with this. Um, But for this other study that we did, we found 25 LGBTQ current and former members of the church, and we sat down in 30-minute-to-hour-long interviews with each of them and really just talked to them and tried to get an understanding of what's going on here. Like, what are your experiences with church leaders? What's working? What's not? So I feel like this study felt quite different from others that I've been involved with in that it's very, we're here with the people, like we're listening to the stories and getting details from individuals. Yeah, and we're hoping we'll expand it eventually and pull a larger number of people. That's going to be part of this next wave of the four options survey. We'll have Mm -hmm. questions based on what we present. But we really just wanted to understand what it is that people are experiencing. We didn't want to put words in people's mouths. We wanted to hear it from them. How did you find the the 25 individuals in question? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think most of them, if not all, actually came from the four options survey. Okay. Where at the end of wave one, there was an option of if you're interested in being involved in future research efforts, just leave an email. And we actually got kind of an overwhelming number of responses um, of people who were willing to sit down and talk to us, which was very flattering. And so given that number, we had the opportunity to really, I guess, choose individuals who represent diverse perspectives so that we could get a better understanding of a lot of different stories. Yeah, we picked about half that were active in the church and about half that weren't because we wanted the perspective both of people who were still talking with leaders as well as people who had left Mm -hmm. and then thought a lot about things like sexual orientation and gender identity and race and ethnicity and wanted to have people from different backgrounds because it's probably different to come out as a queer black man than it would be as a white trans woman. Yeah, I would, I would imagine so. And, and so in conducting these interviews, I mean, was there, was there a, a standardized template? Was this more of a discussion and you just kind of took note of what, of what went down? Like I'm thinking a lot, Right now, I'm, I'm thinking of parallels. I'm, I'm sure you've seen what Liz Brown McDonald was doing over the past uh, few years. We interviewed her, you know, re- interviewing similar individuals, but about parents' religious rigidity. You're focusing on church leadership, but I see some parallels to there uh, to what she was doing in that same idea of getting a certain group of people, asking them about their experiences and trying to find the, the commonalities, maybe quantify that, which is quantifiable, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. 
yeah, we we came up with I think maybe it was ten questions on the interview yeah. sheet. We've we've summarized it into six questions that we'll probably end up talking about in our discussion today. We kind of said, why is it that you talked with a church leader? What made you talk about gender and sexuality? We we asked, what counsel were you given? What did you find helpful? What was unhelpful? What how did it impact you? And then what were your reactions to talking to church leaders? So we were kind of just interested in zoning or honing in on each of these six areas. Yeah. Well, let's get into those in a second. I mean, what, what made you want to focus in on the relationship with church leadership? Whose idea was that? Where, where did this main research question come from? Yeah, that was me. I was working with a, a, an agency called the Louisville Institute that funds a lot of research on religion. And they're really dedicated to increasing the vitality of the church in North America. I was kind of looking over their mission statement and thinking about my experience as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. And I thought about interactions I had with church leaders and how the ones I had good, bad, and ugly. And thought one of the things that's closest, nearest and dearest to my heart is wanting to work within a faithful LDS framework to create change for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. I think working with church leaders is a really clear entry point to how we can make some change for folks. Yeah, and what about you, Sam? What have your what, what have your experiences been? Similar? Yeah. I've had like wildly different experiences with church leaders throughout my own life. Um and I kind of got that sense from the people that we interviewed as well. But so coming into the project, it was really important to me actually to be able to understand these diverse experiences because some people have great experiences and it's really helpful and then some have really bad experiences and it's really damaging and i think it's it's cool to be able to elucidate i guess what's going on on both ends yeah well so you're, you're kind of both hinting at the the oft called the uh, bishop's roulette right <laughs> yeah. and, and and whether and whether it's lgbtq plus issues or a litany of issues for church members there's a lot that can happen based on what kind of leader you have <laughs> that has absolutely nothing to do on what the handbook says or what's said in general conference. Cause we are humans and we, <laughs> we, we channel our spirituality through the person that we are. And I think that, you know, that's okay. That's part of the mortal experiment. Um, but what, I don't know, in, in talking to these people, do you have any insights in like what we can do to move past Bishop roulette is like, is, do you feel like Bishop roulette is enough of an issue in this vein that, that it can make it so challenging for people that it's obviously like unfair. Like what can we do to somehow, I don't know, like codify positive change or do something to make some of these experiences at least a little more uniform and predictable while still maintaining, you know, kind of the, the local unique individual nature of. Absolutely. That's really the end goal of our research is we've created a one page flyer that we're, we're sharing and we're wanting to actually do presentations for ward and state councils about what we found to, kind of help make things more uniform. So we have a few concrete takeaways that we're hoping can at least make it so bishops and stake presidents can be more on the same page. But one of them is that there are a lot of different reasons why people talked with church leaders. Mm-hmm. We found that some people wanted like comfort or guide, like emotional comfort. Some people wanted spiritual guidance. Some people wanted to repent. They felt like they had sinned. Others just wanted to be open about what was going on. They didn't want anything. They just wanted to share. And then others were just coming for part of like baptismal interviews or temple recommend interviews. And so one of the 
the first takeaways that we found for church leaders is that it's so important to understand why someone's coming to you for counsel and give them the counsel according to the reason that they're sharing about their sexuality or gender. So you seem to be implying like, is there often a disconnect there with <laughs> with people approaching for one reason, but then bishops just kind of operating from, I don't know, like whatever, whatever <laughs> toolkit they think they should be operating from? Like, do you feel like they're, they're not lining up and hearing each other? Is that what you're kind of getting at? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I got the sense in talking to these individuals that a lot of the times church leaders maybe just don't know what to do in the situation. And in that context, they just kind of fall back on, oh, this is what the handbook says. Or like, hey, you know what you should do is you should keep the commandments and you should pray. And so like, I don't know. I guess what Tyler is saying is that if someone coming in because they want to be more open and want to come out will look quite different from someone who's coming in seeking to repent. And those people would likely respond quite differently to, you should just keep the commandments and you should keep reading your scriptures. And if you're a bishop and you forget what to do, <clears throat> the answer is to be a human and not rely back on the handbook. Yes. That we found that empathy and like listening goes a a much longer way than reiterating the church's doctrines and stances on the subject. Yeah. Cause yeah. folks already know the, the stances, but what they want is to be seen and heard. Well, and, th- and this is interesting because um, I'm thinking a little bit of our friend, you know, Richard Osler, whose whole brand is, is listen, learn, love. Mm-hmm. We've had him on the show yeah. before to talk about that. And what's so fascinating to me is you will see him get review bombed for his books, for example, where people saying his approach is not, aligned with uh what church leaders would would say which i'm like oh, okay um because he says yeah listen to people empathize with them understand them and be, be their friend first be someone they can talk to and you're obviously suggesting the same thing based on your research yeah. and, and, and what you've seen but the question i want to put to you is it's one people people think whatever they want to think about brother osler and people might hear this from from you two and also think like well yeah but these guys i hate to be crass but like but well, these guys have left the church right like what do yeah. they what do they know what do we what do you say to that to try to mollify the concerns <laughs> of the the broader latter day saint populace who might be like yeah but whatever there are rules there are there are handbooks and you're just kind of basically preaching to sort of look the other way and not care about another term that i hate but like you know the the gay agenda or something like that. and you know and I know you've heard that I think it's a horrible yeah. term but like what do we say to people like that to get them to be a little more open minded yeah, uh, and stop hardening your hearts and open your <laughs> open your eyes <laughs> no I, I that's a really good question Jeff and it's something that ultimately I think we have very little to say toward the people the people who will listen to the things that we have to say need to be open to it. it and we, Sam and I, in the work that we do, try really hard to build trust with communities. So you, if you look at the, like, our history of work, you'll see that we really engage deeply with faithful communities and try and produce work that is fair to everyone involved. So we aren't looking to grind any axes and trying to pull people away from the church. But I think ultimately it's a matter of trust. And we hope that we build enough trust with people over time that they can see that we are, we are trying to help. Did you find any uh, particular distinctions in the results between those you interviewed who are who identify as LGBTQ plus who have left the church and those who are still trying to maintain their allegiance to the church as far as their the, either the reasons they want to talk to the bishop or their experiences with their bishop? Did you see any like any clear cut dis- distinctions between the experiences that different groups had, or was it across the board and just wild? 
Yeah, I think a lot of our big findings actually were across the board, and that's what makes them so interesting. Um, I think it's specific, kind of the counsel that people were given, and then that related to what the LGBTQ plus individuals found to be helpful, was Mm -hmm. fairly consistent between people who were inactive, less active, and fully active, in that, like, it seems like church leaders are saying similar things, and it seems like, regardless of what is being said, the LGBTQ plus people are really just saying it's so helpful. Like it's the most helpful when I'm just listened to and I'm validated. Like, yes, I hear you. Tell me more about what's going on. Like, let me be here with you. Yeah. And Jeff sounds right. The, with only 25 folks, it was really hard to distinguish. And if you ask us that question in a year, we'll have some really clear answers. Because once we have a couple hundred folks, we can do really quick comparisons on these kinds of things to see if there were differences. But mostly it really seemed like people spoke with one mind. And they one of the biggest things that they said that we keep referencing is just, just listen empathically and be open. Which I think there is a really easy way to do that as a faithful Latter-day Saint that believes in commandments and the gospel, I think it it involves stepping into a really human space of saying, this is someone who's struggling. I covenanted to mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who need comfort. And Mm -hmm. what I'm doing right now is fulfilling that part of my baptismal covenant. I'm going to leave the judgment to the Lord for a few minutes and I'm going to mourn and comfort. And then when we finish, if there's a need, I can remind and invite to repent and, and, yeah, encourage people to be better. What do we say to church leaders who might be, I don't know, like, I, I don't envy a lot of bishops for being in some of the positions they're in. Like you you just, uh, you know, you said some of them, you know, they don't know what to do. So they default to the handbook. Okay. And then that alone right there, like I don't envy bishops because they get, uh-huh. they get faced with situations where they don't always know exactly how they should, how they should react. And I imagine, especially because these are, these are individuals who are, who are, um, set apart in a certain capacity. Right. They are both spiritual leaders. They are judges in Israel. We, we, you know, if you're, you believe they're in these very important roles and they also have a job as, as they're often told to defend the church, to defend the doctrine, to yeah. do things like that. What do we say to leaders then to help them also sort of, I don't, I don't want to say like they should have to feel like they have to walk a certain line to kind of balance everything. Cause I, I don't know if that's necessary, but at the same time, I think you are balancing the demands of perhaps leaders above them, people who are saying this and that to them, and even what might be their own innate desire to be welcoming and hospitable, but they might feel the pull of something else to try to like protect the church. I hope that makes sense. Like, yeah, totally. There's a, there's a lot of expectations to balance there. Like, What do you tell the leaders then? How, what do they do? I've got two different ideas, and Sam's probably got even more, because we found two really contrasting findings in our interviews one is that these interactions deeply matter for folks that the impacts of interactions with leaders lead people to disengage from the church they lead people to nuance their faith and they lead some people to engage more fully with the church so on some level it's actually a super high stakes situation yeah yeah ironically we also heard a lot of people say I I know that my leaders are human and that they're doing the best that they can. And I am going to honor that. And so we heard a lot of grace and forgiveness from LGBTQ plus folks. So I think for leaders, uh, holding that it's an important conversation, but not getting swept away in the like overall implications is helpful. 
I'm going to layer on top one more layer that we know that most uh, LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints will leave the church. And I think it could be really helpful for leaders to step back, to give themselves a little bit less responsibility for governing someone's life and to allow people the agency to make their own decisions and to think of themselves as a, like on the road to Emmaus, as a, a walker with rather than someone who's always needing to guide. That was really nice. Can you, uh, can you speak to that for a second? You said, you know, we know most LGBTQ Latter-day Saints will leave the church. That's, I don't necessarily doubt that assertion, but I would be curious to know what, what is the uh, research? Yeah. What, what points you to saying that? Yeah, I did. I did talk a little beyond the data there, Jeff. So thanks for <laughs> that. I, and you call yourself a doctor. <laughs> Of philosophy, no less. Kind of, but. <laughs> you know, that is, so we we haven't done any longitudinal studies, That's yeah. which is why the four option study is so important, so that we can actually track and quantify numbers and percentages. Um, but we do know from like national data that it is about two thirds of LGBTQ folks who are not religiously affiliated compared to one third or compared who are not compared to one third of heterosexual and cisgender folks who uh, are not religiously affiliated. Okay. So it's almost double the rate. Yeah. And so if we, if could we kind of just project that on Latter-day Saints, then it's probably about two thirds of Latter-day Saints, people who are born Latter-day Saints that ultimately leave the church. And I, I guess I think that it's super, really helpful to understand that many people, one of the common routes is to leave the church and that creating more resistance and barriers can actually make it hard, make their life much worse as they're leaving and probably wouldn't make the people stay who are going to stay. Well, I guess you could almost sum it up. Um, it's very easy to kind of preach the fear angle. I think people, yeah. like, if you leave the church, this is what you are leaving. You are, you will lose everything. And it's funny because it's actually um, just tonight, there was something going around social media of a prominent beloved church figure who was saying this at a fireside over the weekend. Um, and we can talk offline if you want to go to our Twitter feed and you might see what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but that can be like counterintuitive. It can be counterproductive. Yeah. Right? I mean, and it's not to say at least for active Latter-day Saints that it doesn't mean you don't try to protect the institution and what, what you believe to be doctrinally correct. But at the same time, you're not going to like browbeat people into exaltation by just telling, you know, right. I just, <laughs> I yeah. just them, like, if you leave, you will be damned. This is bad, 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 bad. Stay where you are. Like, I like, is that the path for everyone? <laughs> yeah. I think there were, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sam. No, Sam, you go ahead. I just, you thank you. I will. Um, <laughs> like one specific story comes to mind from one of the interviews that just stood out wildly to me because I'd never heard anything like it before. But one individual had gone in to speak to their bishop um, and come out. And essentially they were saying, I think I'm going to be distancing myself from the church. They were already kind of in that process. Um, and it was just so interesting that the bishop, when the person told me, I remember thinking like, this is going to be a bad story. Yeah. But they were like, no. And the bishop got up and gave me a hug and said, obviously we'd love it if you stayed, but you get to make your own choices. And I want you to know I'm going to support you regardless of whatever you choose. And I'm always going to be here if you want to talk about coming back to the church or need support in your next steps. And it was just like such a beautiful example yeah. of like compassion and love. 
and highlighting agency of like, at the end of the day, you get to choose your own journey and we'd love the church to be involved, but if it's not, I'm still going to be here for you as a human. Sam, if I can piggyback on that, that was, that was my experience leaving the church at the end of the day, that when I, I had several interactions with church leaders leading up to that, that weren't all as positive, but once I kind of understood where I was, I, I talked to my bishop and I told him I told him that. And he was very much of like, Tyler, we're so glad that you've been with us and it'll be sad not to have you, but we want the church to be a positive place for you. And if it's not going to be, I can respect that decision. And I had a member of the state presidency call me in and like in the process of having my name removed. And I was so scared to go talk to him. And he had the same energy. He's like, look, it's so important to me for you to know as you're leaving that we want to make a place for you. That if there is a time you want to come back, you, we want you to feel comfortable and free coming back. And it was really refreshing <clears throat> not to feel challenged in leaving because that would have made my defenses go way up, but just to feel seen and heard and loved as I was doing something that must have been really hard for these priesthood leaders to watch me do. Yeah, I can, I can, <laughs> I can only imagine. And, and did you feel, um, at least Tyler, in your experience, when we talked about kind of the the, the fear angle of it, and because having your rec- your records removed from the church, it's a big deal. That's a lot different from just being on on like the do not contact list or something like that, right? Like you know, you're essentially yeah, re- you're renouncing covenants and things you have done yeah, and and, yeah. and doing a lot. That's a very big step. And I, I know a lot of leaders, of course, will say, "I get where you're coming from," but you understand, like this this is a big deal. This is not just saying, "Leave me out of it for now." This is literally yeah. saying. You're, you're throwing this aside. Um, and that's, yeah, that, sorry, go ahead. Go it's ahead. hard. Yeah. And I think that's what made it feel so positive for me at the end of the day, because if my bishop or stake president had, had really pushed me and questioned me, that would have implied that I hadn't thought through all of the things beforehand. And the truth is, I've been thinking about it for a decade. You know, like that has been all I had been thinking about. And leaving was ultimately what I felt like was the only way for me to move forward. It was the choice that I didn't deeply didn't want to make and avoided making for that whole decade. And so when I heard, when my church leaders responded by saying like, we love you. It's going to be so sad for us to see you go. Are you sure this is what you want to do? We will respect your decisions. That was, I don't know, for me, that was a really beautiful parting parting message. And I think has allowed me to keep a positive relationship with the church after leaving. This isn't exactly part of the research, but given all that you both of you have done uh, in your academic research, what do you find are the the main factors for LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints that cause them to decide to leave? And leave could be either have records removed or just, you know, just, just be out of it, even if the records remain. Um, is it more just the fact that we're, we struggle to find whatever the correct balance and relationship is between the LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus community and being Latter-day Saints? Um, is it truth claims by the church? You know, like, is there a dominant thread there that really causes yeah. people to finally say, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm stepping back. I think I'm done. I've got some thoughts and I know I see Sam does too. And I'm, sure, and I'm sure it's, I know you've had your own personal experiences too, and those are fine too, but I'd love to know whatever yeah. you want to share. You know, I can't believe I'm going to say this on air, but I, I think that ultimately the church's position leads a lot of LGBTQ folks to that there isn't room in the church for LGBTQ folks because of the church's position. 
And people can say otherwise and try and make room, but doctrinally, there is very little room. And what I've seen, especially as a therapist, is that it hits people as they go through their development. So it's fine until you're 18 if you're a sexual minority and are starting to date after your mission. But people between 20 and 30 are like, well, I want to have sex or actually not even that. They say, I want to have a relationship and someone that I love. And if you're trans, it happens earlier. And because they say like to live as in a gender and a body that doesn't belong to me is going to make me kill myself. And so I think there's this piece where there isn't space and then people go through development and that as they just hit these really typical developmental milestones that everyone hits of wanting to partner up and wanting to feel authentic and gender, they have to look at the facts and like, oh, this, this just really doesn't fit for me. Yeah. I would just echo Tyler. I don't know from the research if there's like any one thing that has clearly been found as like, wow, when someone feels this specific thing, they're going to leave the church. Um, I think there are quite a few things, but at least anecdotally for myself, it's kind of a mix of there are these church teachings and I'm grappling with them and I really want them to fit. But the more I try and make them fit, the worse I feel about myself, the less hope I have for my own future. Um, And for a lot of people, I think it gets to this point of if I'm going to keep like espousing this belief, like I have to face the idea that I'm going to be alone forever or that I might like actually harm myself, which is, which is, yeah. Well, sorry, Sam. go ahead. Which is why I think the people who it works for are the people in the middle of this continuum with, spe- with sexuality and gender. People who say, like, there's enough of me that can be attracted to people of another sex that I could partner up. Mm-hmm. Or I may be trans, but I, I am, like, there are enough pieces of the sex assigned to birth in me that I can live okay with the gender that I was, I'm told to live. And so there's just less like distress because of that. Cause I think what Sam said really, that really resonated with me is that people want to stay like most, I'd say most or a lot of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints don't want to leave the church. And they find after years or months of wrestling that it, it can't, or it doesn't work for them. Kind of a square peg round hole thing at the end. Yeah. Of the day. Yeah. Which means, what, um, so when, when, People are meeting with leaders. I know one of the main things we, we talked about, you hinted at it a little bit, but like what counsel is frequently given by, if I can use passive voice, what counsel is frequently given by, sorry, I'm an editor and I'm, I'm bad, but what counsel do leaders often give to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints when they go to meet with them? And obviously they're coming from across the, across the spectrum, but what's the most common counsel they seem to receive? Yeah, by far the most common was focusing on the gospel. So what we might call church or primary answers of keep the commandments, like keep coming to church, read your scriptures. Um, Sometimes there were blessings involved from the church leaders, which were typically positive experiences. And then behind that, there was more of like focusing on restricting same-sex sexuality or gender expression. So like... What what would that mean? Like to restrict it in that sense? Yeah. So like don't come to church... Um, as like the gender that you are essentially like don't dress as a man okay in terms of same-sex sexuality restricting that i guess 
aside from keeping the law of chastity would be perhaps like stay away from other LGBTQ people, maybe avoid queer spaces because that's not going to be helpful for you. Try not to consume too much LGBTQ media. Is that, I just, I just want to say, is that insulting for people in, in your shoes? Cause it would almost assume the flip side of it. Like <laughs> I, I, as a heterosexual male, am I imperiled by consuming heterosexual media <laughs> and being around heterosexual people? Like, does that make me more likely to, I, and of course the doubt, like the, the issue with this is like, but if I, if I express my heterosexuality, I'm, I'm totally like above board and, co- and, and cool as far as church stuff goes. But uh, is that like, is that counsel that you receive being, being gay men? Like, uh, it's not, it's like the, I don't know. It makes me think it's a classic thing. Like people think that like, um, that, uh, pedo- that like gay men are pedophiles like that kind of a thing too right like you can't be around places like this because you're going to be tempted to act a certain way and i I have to assume you're like well i'm an adult like i mean i'm not going to like just because i'm around other gay people like be more gay or less (laughs) gay please please forgive me if that sounds rude i'm not trying i'm I'm, i just want to scream the more you hold it down the bigger it comes up in other places okay so the more you avoid LGBTQ spaces and people, the more you're going to masturbate, honestly, or the more that you're going to do like the bigger things that you're trying not to do. So it's a, it's a really terrible idea for most people. Okay. And what, what are some of the other ones? I, I know I know we've got the list here. I'm following along, <laughs> but you know, yeah. cause all those are very different things. There's focus on the gospel, which for some that, that I hope that's like a comforting thing be like, Hey, you're okay. Like keep doing the good things you should be doing. Don't, don't give up on that. Then it flips around to restrict yourself, right. restrict who you are. Uh, what are some of the other yeah. common outcomes? It's fascinating because the next comment after restrict same-sex sexuality and gender expression was accept yourself. Like learn to practice being okay with who you are. Some people even went so far as to say like, God made you this way. So like, this is, this is you. And then the next most frequent was, um, I guess, highlighting agency, like that experience I shared earlier of the church leader basically saying, I'm here to respect whatever choice you make. Like, use me as a sounding board if you'd like, but this is your choice. And and so from all of this, I mean, what what things did uh, those who were, have had their experiences, what did they find most helpful from their leaders at the end of the day? And what were, what what kind of counsel was like the least helpful as well? Yeah, I can tackle this one because we've talked a lot about the most helpful pieces. So it's yeah. the empathic listening and openness. And the least helpful was a lack of empathic listening, which is not surprising. But there was a piece of the least helpful that was about a lack of knowledge or experience with LGBTQ individuals. And the way it came up was LGBTQ folks would say something like, my leader seemed to just really not get me or like not get my worldview. Like they had a limited worldview and experience. And because of that, they had a hard time understanding the experiences and challenges of the folks in their offices. So it made for a really clear takeaway that as a leader, one of the best things that leaders can do is simply hear stories. So going to podcasts like this or Game Mormon stories or Uh, Voices of Hope and listening to the stories of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints will help you get like a range of understandings of the different paths LGBTQ Latter-day Saints take. Do you think ward leaders should be more, um, like they can listen to that, should they be more um, proactive perhaps in in engaging in programming lessons, whatever you want to call it, like talking about these issues Uh in church or just doing that like 
uncomfortably single out those among our flock who are working through these issues and make them feel like like they're a cause, if that makes sense. I love the idea of that happening, of those trainings yeah. or meetings taking place, especially if they happen without the bishop then being like, we're doing this for this member who is gay. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's get the whole ward together for Jerry. Yeah. The whole ward. Because I think everybody can benefit, honestly, from kind of hearing these stories and expanding this worldview um, of making and everyone's thinking about it already. Yeah. And that's what I found. Like I've, I've been in, in leadership meetings or I, I've witnessed where, uh, where like youth have been polled in a ward and said, like, basically said like, we're coming into a new year. What are things you'd like to talk about? Like we have our regular lessons, but what are issues you'd like to discuss? And a lot of youth brought up, not saying that even they were necessarily working through same sex attraction, but saying like, I want to like talk about this and understand it better. And I, I've seen this pretty strongly, like from all this saying, like, I just want to kind of know how to, how to navigate this space, how to talk to my friends who experience this or, or what I should say about it. And then I've seen, youth leadership right afterwards say like, no, we're not going to do that. Like, we're not going to focus on this because they'll say something like, you know, because we are all Latter-day Saints, like to kind of paraphrase that talk Elder Bednar yeah. gave a couple of years ago. And I thought, to be clear, Elder Bednar's remarks were worthwhile. He was saying, just don't like restrict the label of yourself to like the couple of things that distinguish you from others. I got that. But a lot of people took it to mean like, no, 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 we're not supposed to focus on our differences on these sorts yeah. of, of things. And I just... This is just me, but I thought that seemed so damaging because the youth clearly are aware of things that are going on. We don't give them enough credit. Youth, yeah. we, we think they're extremely innocent and don't know what's going on in the world. And they do more so now than ever. I mean, from the time I was in high school, when it was frankly totally socially acceptable to use just the word gay as a pejorative and like just tease people and just like, dude, that's gay. Oh, man. You know, like it's terrible. That was totally normal in the 90s. That's not as normal nowadays. Not that we're still not dealing with hate crimes and things like that, but um, the kids see a lot of this. And so I don't know, I just talking to both of you, I have to imagine like I, I wish ward leadership would just say it's, it's safe for us to actually engage on this. We don't have to make the whole yeah. world about this, about this one thing mm -hmm. all the time, but why would we not open this up and talk about yeah. it? And Jeff, I would even posit that this is critical to keeping youth engaged with the church who are heterosexual and cisgender, that we live in an age of social media where they will know LGBTQ folks and they will have to answer, like, how is it? They'll have to have a solid answer for themselves of why is it wrong, even if I'm straight or cisgender, in a way that maybe yours or my, even my generation growing up didn't have to because there was less, fewer stories around. So talking about it in church makes it something that can be talked about so people can find answers and, and stay in the church. Well, how do you recommend, I mean, we talk about sort of the leader's reactions. What should LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints, how, like, are there things they can do to differently or to be even more effective with their leadership? Because like I said, it's Bishop's Roulette. You might try to open up to a bishop, and it might say it doesn't go as you're hoping at, at one point in time, fully acknowledging that sometimes we all meet with people and things don't go as we're hoping because the Lord works in different ways and things don't always go as you're hoping. That's fine. But like if you're trying to build this relationship and maybe it doesn't really work the first time, are there approaches those on the inquiring side can embrace to perhaps be more effective and, and draw more out of these leaders as well? Yeah, we, to be fair, we didn't focus on that in the study. So this sure. is perhaps more anecdotal. Um, one thing we did find in the study as a preface is that almost all of our participants had this really 
essentially, they all have this thought that if I go in and talk to a church leader, it's going to go really, really poorly. Um, and even people who shared like horrific experiences in the interview would then say, but I feel lucky. Like I've heard so much worse. And so I think maybe even part of it is recognizing that there might be a bit of this story of talking to church leaders equals bad. Yeah. And that might not be the most helpful way to approach a conversation with someone. And what I would add on to that is that we, we saw in the data that people, that leaders kind of reacted based on how participants came to them. So there's something developmental about being a sexual or gender minority that people often start in a confused space and then kind of in a scared space and then they accept and start to tolerate and then share their experiences. Mm-hmm. And so th- when the more that an LGBTQ plus person can understand and figure out for themselves before telling a church leader, the better, because then they're not going to come in this really scared place of saying like, how do I do this? Which maybe church leader isn't the best person to talk to that in that space. Like maybe mom or dad or friend is the best person. And instead can be like, Hey, look, this is what's going on for me. This is where I am. I need your help to figure out how do I do this as a member of the church? And so it's like a little further along in development, which makes it less, I don't know, impactful, less volatile. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's implying a level of trust with your leader as well. Like saying like, I am coming to you for this guidance, like help me. Like, and I think you're laying the groundwork saying like, I'm not, yeah, like I'm, I want to be here. Help me be here. Like, what can we do? As you continue your research, um, because you've interviewed those who have gone to leaders and then they've kind of reported on their experiences with it. Are you trying to reach out and actually find leaders either present or past and talk to them about their experiences on their side of it and what they've, what they've learned from everything? We absolutely are. That's what we're starting to do right now. And our entree is that we're trying to reach leaders by sharing these messages with them. Yeah. But then after doing that or separately, we're wanting to, get leaders like takes on this. We want to hear what leaders feel is most helpful or unhelpful and hear the struggles that they're having. So we, we have a survey that you can link to in the show notes that for folks to sign up for or to put their names on if they're interested in having us present or in sharing their experiences as leaders with us. Cool. That'd be huge. I'd be fascinated to learn about leaders, both those who have said I've had these experiences and I want to share them or some who might say like, if they could be open about it, like, I'm deeply uncomfortable addressing these issues as a leader, which I have to imagine is a, a sizable portion of our church leadership. Sure. Especially in North America. Um, and do you, are you interviewing like, is it international component? Is it pretty much restricted to, I mean, if you're doing uh, interviews. It's restricted to the United States. Pretty United States, maybe Utah. Okay. I'm excited. I, I'm sure it's a whole different ball game if you're interviewing members Absolutely. in like Belgium or something yeah. like that. Very different thing. Belgium and, you know, Europe where we don't wear white shirts to church and no one cares. That's <laughs> Promise, that is the yeah i get yeah oh you you know you know sam you're mancunian you know how it is thank you in the aisles right <laughs> there there were times there's times i've gone back to provost campus i mean i went to byu for my undergrad and like i wa- i've got i've had a beard for a while now and like i want to walk around campus and like hoping people will look at me like i'm an apostle <laughs> and wonder what i'm doing there and it never quite pans out that way i, I really am like looking for the leers and they don't show up it's kind of it's, it's, it's unfortunate That's awesome. before we go i just wanted to ask both of you um especially you know tyler since we last spoke 
obviously there have been continued developments as it pertains to the church, to LGBTQ plus uh, issues within the church and outside of it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that have popped up, like, you know, like, you know, BYU, of course, there was the light the Y and now they've banned yeah. protests. And there was, a, um, I don't know if you saw Arizona's compromise bill that just hit the news this week, which is, they call it the, comp- the church just backed it like today on the day of recording. And it's the, and it's the idea to protect LGBTQ plus people in terms of housing and, and work discrimination, but still allowing, having allowances for religious bodies to have other things. Um, you know, you have David Archuleta being a lot more frank about things. Things are things are evolving, but I would just love your take, both as researchers and as former church members and as um, as, as gay men. Like, what? How do you see things going so far in terms of the relationship between all these parties? How are yeah, we doing? Yeah, i I find that I have so much hope still. Um, I I don't know. Sometimes it's easy to look at the church as an institution or as an organization and to kind of be like, uh, nothing's ever going to happen. But the more I'm actually talking to people in the church, the more hope I get because people like people care and people are learning more and more and having experiences with LGBTQ people. And I think there's so much power in that and power of just like people showing that they love and support one another. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I like, I'm quite excited to see what comes next. Yeah, I agree with, with you, Sam. I think I'm pretty hopeful too. I'm encouraged that discussions about LGBTQ folks are happening in the context of the church now that it's, we used to have the website, right? Game. Uh, what was it? Gay uh, and Mormon was gay the one. And Mormon. Yeah. 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 And the idea that there are LGBTQ folks in the church is still relatively new. And I think that we are grappling better with that. There's a long, 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 long way to go. And I don't know, I don't even know if a solution will emerge. You know, I'm not sure that I feel confident that there actually is going to be a great solution, but I am so hopeful that there's conversation and dialogue because I think that's all that we can do as humans at the end of the day is be able to talk about where we're at and our differences and come to an understanding of each other. And that will get us to the best place we can. Yeah. I'm going to like hop in again real quick. Yeah. Hop in. <laughs> I have to shout out my thesis because it was all about like church belongingness and how that's so protective against depression, suicidal ideation. Um, and so I think a lot of my hope comes from like, I don't expect there really to be this big like revelation or answer that makes church and gay just work. Um, but I'm really hopeful that the more people talk about this and the more that this, like it becomes normal to talk about LGBTQ issues and to stand up for them within religious spheres, that LGBTQ people won't feel so isolated in religion. And some of those really harmful effects um, that can happen will start to decrease. Do you feel like we can mitigate all the harmful effects and things we've talked about today? Is there any way to achieve that? without the church actually having a doctrinal change that just opens up the doors for just, you know, normal, completely, uh, completely um, sanctioned, uh, you know, homosexual relationships within the church up to and including the temple. Like, is that what it would, can, can we get to any kind, I don't know what else, I don't want to call it detente. It's not like we're like, <laughs> this isn't the civil, the cold war, but um, you know what I mean? Like, 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 can we get there or the, where we stop, having to worry about in these same issues about all these things and, and with the repercussions, the ramifications, 
without that? Because obviously I think there are many who assume that that will never cross that line. There's a lot who would assume that. So do you think it can be done? My gut reaction, honestly, is not fully in that I think things for sure can get a lot better. Um, but And this is just speaking from my own experience, but I feel like being in the church, one of the really big difficult things for me was like I can never be fully active in the church, like go to the celestial kingdom and marry a man and like have a family. And those are both like, they were both so important to me. And so if that's not possible, like I can feel happy day to day and I can feel like, oh, I belong in this church and that's great. Um, but I think there will always be a piece of like, oof, this feels weird. This is uncomfortable for me, this conflict. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd say no. But, but I would follow it up by saying that I think we could get to a place within the church that same-sex sexuality or gender expression is treated like other things that the church disapproves of. There are plenty of people who have a lot of sex before they get married and smoke weed and gamble and do a lot of things that the church doesn't like that are still active members of the church. And I think that may be a more feasible model of what this may look like, that many LGBTQ folks ultimately may be active, less active members of the church, where it's still important they want to be there, even if they're not keeping all the commandments. Okay. Well, I appreciate those insights. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Well, well, I've really enjoyed this a lot. Um, Tyler and Sam, thank you very much for offering all of your expertise and sharing your research with us. We can, uh, I think we, we can link to your little spread, your little one pager you shared with me. Is that fair? Or is, is that for yeah. public consumption at this stage? Okay. It so is. we'll, we, we'll link to that over this week in mormons.com. And, um, once again, um, Tyler, you want to do, we've got the, uh, for options survey. Yeah, yeah, just just give us the URLs again. Yeah, so www.fouroptionssurvey.com and that's the number four and then options with an S and survey and then lgbtqmormonresearch.com. And is the latter the one that people should go to if they are leaders and they want to offer right. participation? The latter is okay. for leaders. The former is for the 10-year longitudinal survey. Right, right, right. Great. Well, everybody, if you go to that, or if you know anybody, especially a leader who could be involved in this, I think this is a very valuable way to spend time if you're a leader in the church offering your insights. So, so both so you, we can help others. And so, you know, we could all learn along the way. Like I'm not a bishop. Um, I'm a lowly executive secretary, so I don't really count. I'm, I'm like quasi Bishop Rick, right? But um, there, there's a lot we can do here. So I appreciate all you guys are doing and able to share this with all of us. So Thank I want you, you to- Jeff. This has been a uh, Tyler Lefever, who's the you know PhD over there at uh, one of those schools in Utah, Utah State University, doing some great research along with Sam Skidmore, who's doing his uh, he's a third year doctoral student in clinical psychology at USU. Do they call it USU? Is that a thing yeah. people say? They just say Utah State. I don't know. I grew up. <laughs> I went to BYU. That's all we care about, right? Just the that's, Cougars that's or die. I I am the least patriotic BYU alum on the face oh, of the earth. No, I so. think I rival you. I never even went. Did you ever? Can you say you never went to a football game? Because I can Ooh, say that. I went to one. I, I can say that. I've also never been to a I, football I game. I never, ever went to one. I think it speaks more to just like, I don't know, I'm socially off putting and nobody invited me. It's probably something <laughs> like that. <laughs> anyway, Tyler and Sam, thank you very much. It's been great to have you on the show. Um, we wish you well. We hope to follow up with you. You know, in a year, if you got more research, please come yeah. back and tell us what you learned from the leaders as well. Thanks, Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And everybody, thanks for listening once more to This Week in Mormons. We hope this is worthwhile for you. Join us at our website, thisweekinmormons.com. Subscribe to this pod if you haven't done so. 
Leave it a review wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Give it five stars on Spotify. Yes, you can listen to Spotify. I don't care about Joe Rogan and um, all is well. So thanks for listening, everybody. Until we speak again, uh, for Tyler and Sam, I'm Jeff, and we hope you have a good one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.